Dave pulls up in front of an old ivy-covered apartment building on Charles Street between Bleecker and West Forth. I step onto the sidewalk and wait while he makes a phone call from the front seat. It's quiet. The air is humid and the streets are speckled with afternoon light. A young, high-cheekboned couple walk by, speaking what sounds like Russian into their cell phones. A fire engine wails. A trim young man with a Great Dane on a leash bends with a plastic bag in hand to scoop up a pile of the elegant dog's poop. New York, I think. I'm back in New York. I see a middle-aged man walking alone with an earpiece connected to a wire that disappears into his tan windbreaker. He looks at me a beat too long and a little too seriously, and an old, familiar panic flashes in my chest. Dave comes around to the side of the jeep and grabs two bags from the back and barks, Come on, I have to meet Susie. I rush to help, and when I turn to look for the tan-jacketed man, he's gone. I follow Dave up three flights of exceedingly creaky stairs as he tells me how the old woman on the second floor, just below his studio, is highly sensitive, extremely cranky, and will call him day or night if she feels anything is awry. I wonder if this is his way of discouraging any funny business, a little barricade against what he and everyone else in my life fear will happen now that I've returned to New York. Relapse. The apartment is a bright studio with a fireplace, high ceilings, and a small dangling crystal chandelier. It looks like the study in a much larger, very nice old house. Dave's books line the mantel and shelves, and there are old rugs scattered about. The small brown couch unfolds into a bed that I'll sleep on for the next few weeks. Dave rat-a-tat-tats a tour of the basics. Towels, locks, a pile of blankets, tricky windows, cutlery, cups, coffee machine, keys, and then he's gone. I had imagined having coffee with him at a nearby cafe and a brotherly speech about how it's all going to work out that I have to be brave, that I can count on him, etc., etc. But what he offers instead is help with the bags, another warning about the downstairs neighbor, a worried look, and a hurried goodbye. The apartment looks onto a garden behind a townhouse. It's a minimalist oasis, boxwood, teak, reflecting pool. The townhouse has large, clear panes of glass that frame exquisite mid-century modern furniture on the second floor, and a clean geometry of stainless steel, marble, and what looks like suede in the kitchen below. Order and wealth hum from the place and I can barely look. I close my eyes and only then do I hear the bright racket of songbirds. They sound exactly like the birds that covered the trees near the field where I walked on the grounds in rehab. I imagine a flock flying just above Dave's jeep the whole way down from White Plains, descending now upon the branches outside to chirp and coo their encouragement. Hi guys, I say, and I'm startled by the sound of my voice. Thanks for the welcome home party, I whisper, and though I'm embarrassed by the fantasy of the birds escorting me back to New York, I'm still glad for any kindness, made up even, coming from the greenery outside. I lie down on the couch and listen. The birds carry on. Voices drift in from outside. The refrigerator hums in the little kitchen, and all at once it hits me. I'm alone. No one besides Dave knows exactly where I am. I could be doing anything. I've been inpatient for weeks, under the thumb of nurses and doctors and counselors the entire time. No more morning gatherings, group meals, and in-bed-by-ten room checks. I'm alone and unaccountable. And then, like a dead ember blown to life, I think about my old dealers, Rico and Happy. I remember how I owe each of them a thousand dollars and wonder, despite all that's been lost, everyone hurt, despite everything, how I'm going to get two grand to pay these guys off so I can buy more. I start to puzzle through credit cards and PIN codes for cash advances. Suddenly, a few thousand dollars seems within reach, and I can feel that old burn, 
that hibernating want, come awake. I imagine the relief that first hit will deliver and I'm suddenly up off the couch and pacing. No, 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 I chant. No fucking way. That craving, once it begins, is almost impossible to reverse. What my addict mind imagines, my addict body chases. It's like Bruce Banner as he's turning into the Incredible Hulk. Once his muscles begin to strain against his clothes and his skin goes green, he has no choice but to let the monster spring from him and unleash its inevitable damage. I step on a creaky floorboard and remember the old lady below. I think of Dave and how he spent most of his day driving to White Plains and back, how he's trusting me with his place, and how worried he looked when he left. I look at my watch. It's 3.50, and I remember Jack had suggested I go to a four o'clock meeting around the corner if I return to the city in time.